One of the most effective pieces of advice that we give is to start small and make your mistakes in a small place. In other words, don't go national before you've got your act together. You know, get your act together before you take your show on the road, even if you think your act is together. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and joining us on today's episode are my friends Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey, founders of Barefoot Wine and authors of the bestseller book, The Barefoot Spirit. In this episode, Michael and Bonnie share the details of how they turned a collection's nightmare into America's number one wine brand. Stay tuned to hear how you can apply the barefoot philosophy to your own entrepreneurial journey. So excited today to have my friends Michael and Bonnie here with me today. I know a lot about your story, but I am so excited to hear you tell it again as a part of this podcast. And I just want to start by kind of going back to the beginning. You've been amazingly successful in so many ways, but kind of burst onto the entrepreneurial scene with uh, Barefoot Wines and turned it into one of the fastest growing wine brands in the U.S. without any prior experience in that industry. Can you tell us a little bit about the backstory? I always like to hear, how did you get there and, and how did that all happen? Well, a lot of people think we must have gotten into the wine industry because we loved wine, but that really wasn't the case at all. In fact, we never intended to get into the wine industry at all. But I had a client who was a grape grower, and I was helping to manage his office and oversee the vineyard management And I saw pretty quickly that he was owed for three years worth of grapes. He'd sold to a winery and they hadn't paid him. So I asked my new boyfriend over here, Michael, (laughs) if he would go and collect the $300,000 that my client was owed. Yeah, so I could just met this gal and here she is sending me on an errand to collect 300 large. Wow. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, where is this relationship going, you know? So I I go there. Think big. Yeah. When I I go there, when I get there, they've just closed it down because it's declared bankruptcy. So, you know, I was a little disappointed walking in the gate, but I went ahead with the meeting anyway. And while I was there, I looked around and I saw some, you know, big tanks full of wine and, you know, bottling machine and and I said hey what do you guys have in those tanks and you know what's going on with that machine and they said oh well that's Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc wine in bulk in the tanks and the machine is a bottling line and so you know it hit me I thought well you know you guys can't give us any money but let's do a trade how about this give us three hundred thousand dollars worth of wine and bottling services and, you know, we'll have at least we'll have bottled wine, which is closer to selling it, which is closer to making the money. And we thought, what, how hard could this be, right? How hard could it be? So, so what did Bonnie <laughs> say when you came back and said, I don't have cash, but I've got a new project for us? I said, well, that's not going to pay any bills. And he says, but they didn't have any money. <laughs> this is all I could get. So we got into the wine industry because we took advantage of an opportunity. 
It wasn't because we followed our passion, but because we were presented with an opportunity that was too big to let go. So due to our ignorance, we thought we could do it and, you know, we'd bottle it all up and sell it to the chains and, you know, put a couple bucks in our pocket and pay the grower back and that's how we do it. And you thought, well, <laughs> then we'll go back to our consulting gigs that we've been working and and that would be that. So that was kind of the plan. But what happened? Yeah, we thought, what, how long could it take? We thought maybe two, three years. It took 20. Wow. <laughs> That's always the way, right? I guess. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that journey. How did you get there? And, and how did you get it to being the number one wine in the, in the country? One of the number one brands in the country. I think it's important for your listeners, for our listeners to understand that we started like a lot of small, well, started off small businesses. They start off being in love with their product and they think everyone is going to be as excited as they are about it. We had the best wine at the best price. We had more awards than wines two or three times our price. It had a cute label. It was memorable. It jumped out from the shelves. What's not to love, right? However, we had to go through a real learning period of understanding what our customers wanted. Customers being everyone that touched our product, everyone in the supply chain, everyone in the distribution chain. And until we realized that we had to supply their needs, which often had nothing to do with the best wine at the best price. Right. Then we began to get more sales and get reorders. And that was a big lesson. Learn to satisfy your customers' needs. You know, Barefoot Wines really kind of carved out a different market for wines, didn't they? Because wines could be pretty confusing, right? Was that a part of your philosophy? Huge. A huge part. Because we were not in the wine industry We didn't have all those preconceived ideas about how to do business. We didn't have any history. So we went out and started talking with people that worked on the bottling line, that stacked the shelves, the clerks in the stores. We talked to consumers at tastings, and we found out what they were interested in. We found out that a lot of people were intimidated by wines, just like we were to start with. Right. So we wanted to be sure that Barefoot was non-intimidating. So when we went out and asked questions, and this is what we recommend to our clients today, you know, just take off your hat, hold it in your hand and say, can you help me, right? Because you have to have a certain level of humility. Well, we were scared because we had this $300,000 worth of assets we had to turn it into a business. We didn't know anything about the business. Right. And we didn't know who the customer was going to be. So we started asking questions. We say, make friends in low places. And what we mean by that is people with dirt under their fingernails who are working in the industry. Maybe they're a trucker. Maybe they're a clerk in a store. Or maybe they're a buyer, a category manager. So we asked all these people and they said, well, you know who's buying most of the wine, don't you? And we said, who? And they said, women. Even though most of the buyers are men, it's women who are buying most of the wine. The retail buyers are men. And so we said, well, you know, 
what do they want? And the word came back that they were looking for a Tuesday night wine staple. And they were a 37-year-old mom with two and a half kids. Right. And she wanted a wine that tasted the same from year to year, which was the opposite of the vintage wine business. This is right. now blend wine. And she wanted it to be at a price she could afford, which was like five ninety nine. And she wanted it to be big fruit, easy drinking, soft on the palate. So that's way different than the Saturday night wine, you know, brag wine. Look at this wine, you know, look at this. This was a great, you know, vintage and look at this Appalachian, where it's from and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of the male approach. But the female approach was more into, I've got to do my shopping, I've got to get my groceries, wine is one of the things I need to buy, and I'm looking for a brand I can depend on. So that was it from the beginning. So Barefoot from the beginning was designed to be a woman's wine. So fascinating, you know, great lesson there, I think, for all entrepreneurs is even if you believe you understand the industry, the question is, do you really understand your customer? And that's the place to start, I think, for many entrepreneurs. And, you know, a lot of our students here at the university and people that I've worked with in startups, they've got a great idea, It's but unfortunately, it's all up in their head. Until they get out and talk to the customers, they don't really know what that product needs to look like. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not just the end users. It's everyone along the line. You need to understand in order to be successful how to work with your suppliers, how to work with your distributors, your distributor salespeople, how to work with the retailers. In our case, of course, we're talking about consumer goods. Right. But whoever, whatever your product is, you've got to find out what the needs are and what the conditions are that would be most favorable to you and to your success when you're dealing with the suppliers. And that takes time. You have to build a relationship over time. And what we did is we, we let them know what our goals were, what our opportunities were, and what our challenges were. Because we were partners with our suppliers. The more we sold, the more we were going to buy from them. So they wanted us to succeed. In order to help us succeed, they had to understand what our challenges and goals and opportunities were. Right, right. That was a big lesson. And because we built those relationships, we were able to get better credit with them, better, re- better services from them, and we didn't have to borrow the money that a lot of young companies think they have to go out and borrow a lot of money or, or to bring in an investor or something. Right. That's not necessarily true. Well, you wrote a, a wonderful book, which your first book that, that I've shared with many of my students, The Barefoot Spirit. And Tell us a little bit about what that barefoot spirit embodies. It's it's a part of, sounds like it's a part of the way that you approach everything you do. So I would say the first ingredient, well, first of all, when you say that team has great spirit or that's the spirit, okay, this is the context in which we're using the word spirit. It's basically what drives you, you know, and so optimism is the first thing. You have to believe that there's a solution. If you don't believe there's a solution, you're sunk and you'll stop looking for it. Right. So so that's the first ingredient. The second one is perseverance. And perseverance is really about 
waiting until the time is right for the buyer and for the community and everybody to accept your ideas. Sometimes you have an idea that's ahead of the ahead of the times, or especially if you're disrupting an industry. They don't know how to deal with you. They might not even have a category for you. So you have to wait. And that's really hard. Sometimes you have to wait a year or two years before they they say, oh, I see. You're cutting the cake a different way. Oh, I see. And it takes them quite a while. And so there's a lot of missionary work involved. Mm-hmm. The other thing about the barefoot spirit is there has to be fun. You know, you have to you have to kind of make fun out of adversity. Probably the most adverse thing that happens to people every day is to get told no. Right. You know? So we created a game. What was that game? It was called the no game. How do you play? <laughs> How do you play the no game? Because salespeople particularly get a lot of no's. And in order to keep your spirits up, we created this game. And we discovered that the average number of no's was five. So if you had less than five no's, you haven't even begun playing the game yet. So you've got no business complaining about it. You just keep going. And once you get over five, well, then you're a lot closer to getting the yes, aren't you? All right. So that's encouraging. And the rules, the only rule is when you get a no, you ask another day, you ask another way, or you ask another person. Because really the only person that can say no is you, and that's when you stop asking. That's a, I love that. That's, that is a great lesson. You know, so many times we think of the outcome as being the failure, but it's really, the failure is really if when you just stop asking, right? And exactly. When you stop trying, when you trying. stop pushing yeah. exactly. And another, another ingredient of the barefoot spirit is permission. So this is kind of like the difference between need to know and know the need. So for instance, many companies think that their employees don't need to know, for instance, the marketing challenges that the company's up against. But we look at the people that work for us and we said, you know, they've got a financial commitment in the success of this company. Let's include them. They need to know. So, they, so the idea is, do they know the need what is the need? Well, we had a problem right down there in Florida where you live yeah. uh, with a very big company, Publix, that everybody in Florida knows about. Uh-huh. And we had good news and bad news, right? We had regular sales meetings and our salespeople throughout the nation would call in and tell us their goals, their opportunities, and their challenges. And our entire staff office staff would meet in a room and we'd be listening to an all-day meeting from various salespeople. The salesman said, we've got good news and bad news. Good news is we've been approved at Publix to do a test. Yay, biggest store. That's really going to be fantastic. What's the bad news? They put us on the bottom shelf to do a test. Well, that's the worst place for a product to be because nobody ever looks down. So it's very hard to sell from the bottom shelf. If we didn't pass this test in a few stores, then we were going to be discontinued and they'd never take our product. So somebody said, well, if we're on the bottom, then why don't we just pick up the foot traffic? (laughs) Everybody laughs, okay? And somebody else said, well, you know, that's not such a bad idea. Why don't we make these big purple feet decals 
that yeah. will stick to the floor and put them from the front door, walk them all the way down to the wine aisle, and then turn them in to the spot where our product is. And we'll put a sign down there on the bottom. They're going to look down to say, why am I here? To make sure the feet are really there. That's where they're supposed to be. I love it. Put a sign that says barefoot with an arrow. Okay? Once I you've got people it. laughing, you're already halfway to making a sale. And that worked so well. We passed that test and we got into all the publics in Florida and we did it throughout the nation. We've had sticky feet all over and it worked very well for us. Well, who came up with that idea? It was the receptionist. That's awesome. I love Not it. the marketing manager. No, not even the sales manager. It was the receptionist. <laughs> she needed to know. That's know the need. And that's you know, that's a great lesson. You never know where you're going to hear important information, right? As an entrepreneur. And you know, when people are working for you, that's a tremendous asset that a lot of business owners and startup entrepreneurs don't realize. Right. They think that they have to go get some experts from outside, but maybe they just need to ask their own people and, you know, give them permission to play games give them permissions to, to brainstorm and say ridiculous things because it might send something off in somebody's brain that goes, wow, yeah. there's a solution. Great lesson. Love it. Love it. Love so it. anyway, the, the other thing about the barefoot spirit is really empathy. And, you know, that's a big word for putting yourself in the other guy's shoes. And, you know, like Bonnie was saying earlier, we thought we were selling wine. We thought we were selling the best wine at the best price, but we weren't. We were, sell we were in the distribution management business. We didn't even know it. We could have been selling hammers. We didn't have to sell wine. The skills that we developed in, in selling and building the Barefoot brand had to do with greasing the skids of the distribution system so that our product would get all the way through and be on the shelf in every store in the country and be in stock with the right price and you know the right codes on it and all of the other little hundreds of details that you know so many entrepreneurs think someone else is going to handle sales for them you know we looked at this a, a business plan recently <laughs> up in up in in new england you know in the ivy league schools and this guy had written on this business plan will be sold at retail that was his sales plan. That was the sales wow. plan. <laughs> all that retail. Severely lacking, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to learn what everybody in the distribution chain wanted. And now, the, the retailer, for instance, he wanted a fast mover. He wanted a product that would bring customers in. And he wanted point of sale marketing material that was colorful and bright and would change with the seasons. Well, that has nothing to do with best wine at the best price. And that's what we thought we were selling. Yeah. And the distributor, he could care less about best wine at best price. He wanted to know what the strategic advantage was to his company if he took your product. So like if we went with the distributor in Florida and we said, hey, we've already been approved at Publix, he'd say, well, that's a strategic advantage. That gives me an advantage over the other distributors. So I'll carry barefoot. Right. Isn't that interesting? It has nothing to do with the quality, you know, and so many young entrepreneurs, they fall in love with their product, 
but they don't realize that that's just the beginning. So you have to understand that whole supply chain and all the relationships and all the agendas along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And the complete distribution chain. Exactly. And so the last, the last part of the barefoot spirit is community and all your customers come from the community. And so the question is, what does the community want? You know, what does the community want beside a fine wine at a great price? Well, maybe they want a kids after school park, or maybe they want to improve their library. So this is something that your company can get involved with that's going to get you customers that have a social reason to buy your product. Right. Part of the barefoot spirit is looking at your position as an entrepreneur, as being part of a community and using your forum. See, we had access to the supermarket shopper. So we could take worthy causes and nonprofits who were in neighborhoods surrounding those stores and advertise their goals on the bottles of our wine. So we gave them access to a venue, to a forum that they never had. So now they feel like they're obligated to support us and to go out and tell people about our products. Fabulous, fabulous. A creative problem solving all along the way is yeah. one of the things that I'm hearing. What, yeah. a, what a great how creative you get when you're broke. And scared. (laughs) That's one of the things that I tell entrepreneurs all the time that you can actually have too much money too soon. Because, Uh, yeah, well, one of the reasons that we were successful is because we started off broke. If we'd had money, we would have thrown it at paid advertising, for instance, but we didn't. So we went into the communities to support their nonprofits and fundraisers. And that worked so well that even when we became financially stable, we did not put money into paid advertising, but we just did more community support events. Right, right, right. Great, great lessons there. I love the barefoot spirit. Now you two are amazing. I love I love your energy and the way that you work together. You've spent 35 years working together in a variety of ways, and it's really evident that you complement each other. What advice? Well, on the other hand, there are companies and partners that don't have that kind of dynamic and struggle. What advice would you give entrepreneurs who are looking for a partner or maybe even have a business partner and they'd like to ensure that that, that those qualities that, you know, and that, that, that team can work together, what qualities would you look for and what, what would you recommend to ensure that they can be successful? I think the best partnership, each partner has different skill sets. So if you're looking for a partner, look for somebody who's good at doing things that you're not so good at. And it might sound pretty obvious, but if you're a couple and you decide to go into business, possibly you've got a lot of the same skill sets and you don't realize it until you're into business and then things don't work well because there's still so many things that you need. You're out of balance. You know, you're really strong in one area and you don't have any support in the other. So if you're looking for a partner, please keep that in mind, different skill sets. And another thing to look for is what we call positive disagreement. 
Okay, so people, partners, couples, whatever, we're going to disagree with each other, okay? Question, that's a good thing. You want differences of opinion. You, mm -hmm. have to, you, have to, you have to agree that you are on the same goal and that you're approaching it from different angles and that your disagreement has to do with how you get to the same goal. So you need to have a partner who has the same goals that you do. They don't have to think the same way. They don't have to have the same approach or style or personality, but they have to be loyal to the goal. So I would say that that's, a, that's another one. That's an important one, yeah. Yeah, it's really important. If you can't agree on a decision to reach that goal among yourselves, then you've got to go out and ask some other people, people that you respect, people that understand you, the individuals, the partners, and they understand the goal and, and ask them for their advice. Not necessarily that they're going to make that decision, but they're going to give you more advice to base your own decision on. Right, right. And, and the other thing that you want to look for is you want to look for a partner that is customer-centric. The, mm -hmm. the, the partner has to be somebody where there's no question in his mind that the money is coming from the customer and not from the funder, financier, or bank. Right. Uh, they have to realize that they have to achieve a positive cash flow rather quickly. And in order to do that, they have to really please their customers. So they have to focus on things like customer service more than they focus on expansion. I mean, we're living in the days where the VCs are saying scale fast and fail fast. Well, how about scale slow and don't fail? Right, you know, right. But you know what? That's our philosophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so you got to get the, the, your partner has to be humbled by the task that is in front of you as much as you are and can't think, oh, well, this is the best widget in the world. You know, we're going to be millionaires. Let's go. They got to be more humble and say, oh, my God, we, gotta, we got something to sell. I wonder how we're going to sell it. I wonder who's going to buy it. Right. I wonder how it's going to get delivered. I wonder how we're going to protect our pricing. I wonder if the customer is going to come back. How are we going to turn our customer into an advocate? And about 30 other questions like that. But those are the, that's the kind of mindset that you're looking for in a partner, customer-centric. Right. And I'd like to add just one more thing. It's a whole attitude about giving and about satisfying the customer, which we've said earlier is everybody that touches your product. And who was it that said that that saying is perfect? He said, you've got to know, take off the bib and put on the apron. Mm, grow and up. And you think about that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Ivan Meisner, Thank you. The, the founder of the international, the largest networking organization in the world. Right. And anyway, he says, yeah, take off the bib and put on the apron. In other words, it's what can I do for you and not here's what I need. Right. And as I listen to you all talk, a lot of it, it sounds like a lot of the barefoot spirit and your philosophy with each other has been about service. And that I love that. I love that. Well, thankfully, you did take the opportunity to take a lot of these guiding principles and these, this barefoot spirit and put it into a New York Times bestseller, which I mentioned earlier that I've shared with many of my students. 
It's entitled The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Built America's Number One Wine Brand. Love the title. But there's an interesting part of that title, hardship. And I just wonder, have you experienced some hardship in this process? You, I know you've had a lot of fun and you're very joyous people, but I'm guessing there were some dark times. And could you talk about that a little bit and how you dealt with those kinds of hardships? Well, you know, obviously the first biggest hardship for us was that we thought that we were going to sell it to a big supermarket in California and be down the road, you know, with a couple bucks in our pocket. And the big buyer said, no, you guys are crazy. I can't put this in. Nobody's ever heard of barefoot. You're going to have to. <laughs> you put a big foot on the label. You know, what were you thinking? You disrupt the market. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to take a risk with it because I don't have a history of selling anything this radical that has made me any money. And besides, it's not known. So are you going to put a million dollars into advertising? And we said, no, you know, we don't, we don't have, we don't have a hundred thousand. We don't have a thousand, you know? <laughs> so he says, well, I can't put you in. And he says, I said, well, what are we going to do? You know, we bottled it all up for you. And he says, well, he says, I guess you're going to have to sell every independent mama, papa and corner grocery store and restaurant yourself until it becomes a household name in California, because I'm not going to take it. And no box store, no chain store is going to take this. Wow. Well, no. So talk about hardship. Here we are. We don't have any money for advertising. But it is because of that hardship that we discover one of the major breakthroughs that Bonnie was talking about before, which is Worthy Cause Marketing, supporting community organizations to give the members a social reason to buy our product. Another example of hardship is, you know, here we are, you know, we're we're tasting our wine at a uh, contest that we won. We, we got a gold medal. And, you know, why don't you tell that right. story? That's funny. It was right here in Sonoma County in Northern California, wine country. We entered our Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc into the competition. Our Sauvignon Blanc took a gold medal. And the fair director said, well, everyone that takes a medal pours for the public the following weekend. So we were delighted. We were there with our brand new wine with a gold medal. How good could it be, right? right? So we were pouring for the public and having a great time. And this very serious man in a drab gray suit came up and said, do you have a license for that? I says, well, yeah, the I've got a gold medal. <laughs> the fair told me, you know, to pour for the public here and I'm doing it. I, would you like a taste? No, he said. He says, I don't think you've got a license for that. I'm going to come by next week to your offices. So we we got a little nervous. He came by the next week and he said, you don't have the proper license to pour for the public because at the time it required a full winery license and all kinds of other licenses. And we didn't have a facility to hold that kind of a license at the time. So he said, you've got a choice. You either cut out all your business for two weeks or 30 days, yeah. or you pay $10,000. Whoa. Well, this, was, this was still back in the beginning. We still didn't have that $1,000, so we didn't have any choice but to stop selling our wine for that period of time, two to four weeks. Again, that hardship really helped us out. Because... 
they said, okay, you know, starting on this date, you'll be closed down for 30 days. You lose your license for 30 days. So we said, okay, what are we going to do? And so we thought, well, why don't we just call up everybody who's ever bought any barefoot from us and offer them a deal, sell them two months worth and give them a discount, you know, and make them, make them pay cash or something. And so they did. And so we were able to have the money to stay in business. Wow. And, but, but here's a funny thing, though. So now these stores got twice as much barefoot as they normally get. So their warehouses were yelling at them and saying, hey, you bought all this stuff. I don't know where to put it. You better get it on the floor. You better mark it down. You better get rid of it. So they did. They all, they all did displays, and they, they marked it down. And so people who had seen Barefoot all of a sudden saw it on sale and they were tripping over it in their cart because it was stacked in the middle of the store. And, and, and so it. It, gave us, it gave us visibility, but none of that would have happened without the hardship and the hustle. <laughs> See? Exactly. I love how you manage so many times to turn adversity into opportunity, but it's the hustle part, isn't it? That hard that work. Instead of sitting back and saying, "Oh my, I'm a victim here," yeah. you say, Well, what are we going to do about it? And then hustle then to figure out a solution. Love yeah. it. Yeah. What a great lesson. So that book. Very cool book. I understand now you've created an audio book of the Barefoot Spirit. And tell me why you're doing that. And, and I, from what I'm seeing, it looks like it's a unique approach to audiobooks. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, I'll start. Go ahead. With your permission, Bonnie. <laughs> okay, so we, we, you know, like we do everything else, you know, we ask lots of questions. So we got into the audiobook world. We thought, you know, let's do an audio book. And so at first we thought, well, you know, we've got to find a narrator, you know. And then we started researching and we found out that podcasts were going crazy with the 20 and 30 somethings, which is our market. That's who our clients are. That's who our students are. And so we started looking at podcasts and seeing what was going on with them. And then we also thought, maybe there's some way that we can make this book more interesting because it's kind of written like a screenplay. You know, what if I we, had dialogue, what if we turn it into an audio play where instead of now business books are boring, right? Because it's like, here's the three things you got to do the eight things you never do. And the 28 things your customer wants right. from you. Right. And after a while you're falling asleep with all the lists and prescription. So the other thing about most business books is they're patronizing. They're telling you to do something. And, you know, so we thought, well, what if you could just witness a skit or a scene or an act, whatever you want to call it, between actors who were having dialogue and you could just witness it. And then as a result of witnessing it, you would draw some conclusions so that's a form of experiential learning, sure. which is like the latest thing. And we thought, well, you know, let's see if we can apply principles like, say, a 1940s radio theater program or, you know, like Prairie Home Companion, you know, Guy Noir type skit mm -hmm. or, you know, any of those skits that you see like on the PBS, they actually act out books, the theater of the mind, right? 
-hmm. So we thought, let's listen to those, and we did. And then out of the blue, we meet these people from Hollywood who are a troupe, also known as an ensemble or a group of actors. And they all work together kind of like a little tribe. And we said, well, you know, what do you guys think? And they said, well, let's look at it. So they took the book and they converted the book into audio script. And then we had trials people tried out for the parts. And we got Ed Asner to play the part of this really gruff and snarky supermarket buyer who kicks me out of the office and gives me the tough love, you know, tells me what I need to know, but in a way that I don't like it. Right. Right. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So, so we put the book together as a series of skits and then we interrupt the skits with a kind of a podcast where it's an interview with the real Michael and Bonnie. And they say things like, you know, what did you learn by this? Or, you know, why did you do that? Or were you guys completely out of your mind, etc." So we've done it. It's finished. And now we're breaking it into to little podcasty segments. So we can sell them as segments or we can sell them as the full seven-hour book. How creative. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, it's a lot we of have, fun. Yeah, we have experienced Hollywood actors playing the different parts and reading the different dialogue. And it's really, it has sound effects, it's got music, it's got some original music in it. It's very entertaining and educational. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I think for for the market you're talking about, this is going to be revolutionary. Very exciting. Very exciting. So, over the years, you well, you sold Barefoot Wine several years ago, and you're yes. obviously doing a lot of exciting things, including this audio book. Tell us what else you're up to these days. Well, we've been very happy to have some groups of students, international students, come here to our property. We're opening our lovely estate to groups to have executive retreats or for students to come in here for a full day of of learning and experience Sonoma County. And we can walk around our our lovely property and give them a lesson in a variety of different subjects and then take them to a winery or a vineyard and have a lunch and, and either give them more talks and experience with an entrepreneur or what I prefer to do is to take them to a park. We've got so many lovely parks here. I really enjoy promoting the education and, and awareness of nature with people so that we give them a full day in the wine country. We call it your outdoor classroom in the wine country. That's one that. of the many things we've been doing. Well, I can- I can say, because I've been there to your beautiful property, so I can give a testimonial that I know not only will any student coming there learn a lot, they'll also have a beautiful experience. It's, it's a beautiful location. Yes, yeah, we, thank you. We love to take students out of the you know, bricks and mortar classroom and put them in a grassy meadow surrounded by a forest and a creek in a beautiful vineyard on the edge of a river, and then talk to them about something just as soft, and that is soft skills. And so we have a one-day program that's very popular now, and it's called How Soft Skills Earn Hard Cash. Oh, I love it. Great title. Great yeah, title. And we actually, we actually have fun. We act it out. 
So we're doing, we're practicing what we're preaching in the audio book, but we're doing it in person. Even and better. We, so we have these two companies, they're both skateboard companies. And one of them is called Above Board, and the other one is called Cheapskate. So you can imagine <laughs> the different philosophies of these two companies, right? And so we do skits about how Cheapskate and Above Board manage challenges that they have in completely different ways. And the results of that. Yeah, <laughs> I love the, it. In, yeah, in the, three, in the three areas that affect most business, which is employees, vendors, and buyers. Right. Those right. are the three key relationships in business. And then we discuss with the audience what they saw that took place and, and what it meant to them and what lesson was to be learned there. So it's very interactive. So, so who's your typical student that would be interested in this kind of experience? MBA students, a lot of them have they already started their own businesses, half of them, mm -hmm. and they come back for additional education. Or people who are in a business and they want to expand their business. Right. And also students that are studying, you know, the tech industries because they're not learning much about soft skills. So no matter what industry you're in, learning how to work with people and improving your soft skills is very beneficial. Mm -hmm. They're not getting that education in the tech educational system. Space. Yeah. Good point. Well, over the years, you have helped literally tens of thousands of entrepreneurs and students. And I know I first met you when you were speaking at a conference of entrepreneurship educators a number of years ago. And you've been so generous to speak to many groups of students, the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization and many others. Tell us a little bit about, out of all the advice that you've given those students and entrepreneurs you've worked with, what do you believe has been the most pivotal in their success? How do you feel like, because I know you're still about giving and service and helping, and what do you think has been the most helpful and, and sort of pivotal in terms of helping them succeed? I have had a number of students come back to me and tell me that they've taken our advice in one particular area and it worked very well for them. And that was going into your community and working with nonprofits and fundraisers. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to make your product and service known, and it's a great way to support your community. And it's, it's very rewarding for me to hear that when students come back or, or anyone in our audience comes back and says that that's worked for them. Great. So, so what we like to tell, we tell our clients this too. Oh, yeah, that's it's, another thing that we're doing now is we, we have business clients and helping them to really understand the goals of their business and how to best achieve them. Great. So that's, that's what we're up to these days to finish the answers to the previous question. Sure. Uh -huh. so, so one of the most effective pieces of advice that we give is to start small and make your mistakes in a small place. Mm -hmm. You know, where you can run around hat in hand and apologize to people and still get home that night. In other words, don't go national before you've got your act together. You know, get your act together before you take your show on the road. Even if you think your act is together, it's important to work with a few betas. It's, it's important to work with those first few clients and just service the heck out of them and find out you know, the biggest mistake that we find that 
young people make starting their own business, it's not that they don't understand the cost of goods. They do. They understand the cost of goods. What they don't understand is the cost of sales. They don't realize how expensive it is to fly to Chicago, stay in a hotel, rent a car, and take Mr. Big to lunch two or three times a year, or he's not going to buy your services or goods anymore. Because you never thought that you were going to have to do that kind of hand-holding. You thought you were just going to sell your product. So you get your products all out there, all across the country, and then you find out that you're failing because you can't service them. That's a great piece of advice. You know, we, we talk about customer acquisition costs and very few of our student entrepreneurs or early stage entrepreneurs can tell you what that number is. And that's, I think that's really important advice. If before we close here today, if there was one piece of advice, I think that might be a good one, but is there anything else that you would want to leave our listeners with in terms of, you know, what you'd like for them to take away that might be able to help them in their entrepreneurial journeys? I think that a wonderful goal in life is to improve the life of others and to protect the planet. And if your goal is more along those lines than making money, then I think you'll have more chance of success and more chance of happiness. Yeah, in other words, the biggest mega trend that is happening right now is the change in the climate. Whether you agree with it or not, it's happening. And companies who address mitigation of the change in the climate, such as flood protection or how to, how to conserve water or how to keep people cool when they're hot or, you know, how to offset you know, coastal sea rise, all of these kinds of challenges, these are big challenges, food, transportation, all this stuff. If, you know, young people looking for a business to get into, here's the mega trend. People are going to be spending their money on survivalist things in the future. And what are you doing to help them get there? So my advice, it's like, it's funny, you know, you remember the movie, it was called The Graduate back, I guess, in the Oh, 60s. yes. <laughs> and at one point in The Graduate, the husband of Mrs. Robinson leans over to The Graduate and he says, I'm going to tell you how to be a success boy. Just one word, plastics, he tells him. Okay, so fast forward to where we are now. We're drowning in plastics, right? So, I mean, let's talk about, you know, other types of containers, other ways of buying packaging and delivering products. I mean, there's huge opportunities out there for young people today. They just have to look around, look at the garbage dump, look in the ocean, look on the beach. You'll see the solutions that you need. Great, great advice. I love it. I love it. So before we go, you, you two are still doing amazing things. I want our listeners to be able to connect with you. Can you tell us how they can do so? www.thebarefootspirit.com. Great. Thank you both for being with me today. I, I hope everybody goes and takes a look at all the amazing things that you're offering. And I look forward to seeing you all soon myself. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Rebecca. You, Rebecca.